0: Good morning, my name is Sean Slate, I'm the pastor at Redeemer Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it really is great to be with you. Uh, such an amazing building, I should have worn my hair today, but it is uh, really hot out there, uh, but it's, it's really wonderful because it's bald. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, Jason and I became uh, really good friends about 20 years ago, and uh, we were both doing a campus ministry. He was at Northwestern, I was at the University of Virginia And during those early days, we became really good friends, talking about the gospel, talking about church. It was just really lovely, sweet time to get to know one another and serve alongside one another. And then you all called him to be your pastor, and so that he could go on vacation, he would often invite me up to come and preach so that he could be away, and then I could go get fresh uh, Dunkin' Donuts uh, here in the city. And so uh, it's been about five years since I've been with you, and it's a real joy to be back. A lot's happened in these last five years, uh, but... Uh, Central remains a really, really lovely, beautiful place, and I'm really honored to be invited back. Uh, I do follow along with what's going on here at your church. I listen to the sermons often, I watch on the YouTubes many times, and it's my understanding that this summer y'all are going through a psalm series entitled God Our Refuge, finding and delighting in the God who saves us. And I love the way Chris talked about this last week. He said the psalms are the playlist for our entire lives giving words to the emotions, giving words uh, to help us understand the life that we're living. And so this morning, what I want us to do is, as we look at Psalm 19, I want us to delight more and more in this God who saves us. I want us to delight more and more in this God who speaks to us, because he's kind. And so with that in mind, let's look together at Psalm 19. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this, your word, that you are kind uh, to be a God who speaks. You're kind uh, to not remain silent, but to reveal yourself to your people, that we might know your kindness, that we might know your mercy, that we might know your beauty. And so over these next few moments, as we attend unto your word, it is our prayer that you would attend unto us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you've been around the Christian tradition for a while, you've probably heard a pastor read the scriptures as I just did, and then often after they read the passage, they'll say something like, the word of the Lord. And then the congregation will often respond saying, thanks be to God. And the reason that the congregation will often say, thanks be to God, is because as God's people, we really are thankful. We really are thankful that God in his kindness, that God in his mercy would not remain silent, but that he would speak. And we say thanks be to God because we know that he didn't have to do this. We know that he could have left us in the dark. And we say thanks be to God because he hasn't left us in the dark. We say thanks be to God because God is kind and merciful to make himself known. And we say thanks be to God because we really do believe that this is a gift from his hand. And it is a gift for us to receive. It's a gift to receive, not a gift to be debated, not a gift to be judged, not a gift to be ignored. But as the Westminster Shorter Catechism reminds us, we're to receive God's word in faith. We're to lay it up in our hearts and we are to practice it in our lives. And this really is the fundamental epistemological presupposition of Christianity, that God speaks, right, that God speaks. And so in my church, the way sermons go down in Knoxville, Tennessee, is I will tell you the point, I'll ask you uh, then to repeat the point, right, so I'll say the point, I'll repeat it, and then I'll ask you to say it with me. So here's the point this morning, God speaks, all right, God speaks, would you say that with me? God speaks. And this is where the Bible begins, right? It begins with God. And many of you, I assume, know the story, the way it begins. It begins, like all good stories, begin in the beginning. And in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's amazing, right? God spoke. And when he spoke, The creation responded. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and there was the expanse. He said, let the waters be there under heaven. Let the earth produce vegetation and plants and fruit trees, and let the moon and the stars fill the sky. Let there be waters that are swarming and teeming with living creatures. Let the earth and let the sky be filled with birds, and and let uh, them all be fruitful. Let them all multiply. Let it be, and it was. Day after day, let there be, let there be, and it was. Let there be, and the creation responded. And not only that, God then went on to say, let us make man, let us make humanity in our own image. And it was so. And not only was it so, at the end of every day, God would then speak, and he would speak these moral declarations over all of his work, and he would say, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very, very good. And what I want you to see here is that when God spoke, he spoke these commands, he spoke these words of order, he spoke these words of affirmation, he spoke these words of moral declaration, and he spoke all of these words in order to shape and form the world by the power of his word. And he did this in such a way that it was good. It was very, very good. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever thought about what that voice, what that word might have sounded like. What language might he have spoken in? Would it have been Hebrew? Would it have been uh, Greek? Would it have been Elvish? Would it have been Parseltongue? And when he spoke, would it have been a roar or would it have been a whisper? We don't know. But many theologians love to speculate that when God spoke, he actually sang. That when God spoke, he actually sang the world into being, singing praise and delight over everything that he had made. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's little book, The Magician's Nephew, you might remember at the end of the book, Aslan, the the God character, right, begins to sing the new world into existence. If I've ruined the book for you, I'm sorry, but you've had a lot of time to read it. Uh, But anyway, uh, Aslan sings this new world into being, and as he begins to sing, it says that the eastern sky changed from white to pink, and from pink to gold, and the air began to shake, and the sun began to rise, and the earth was filled with living colors that were fresh and hot and vivid, and everything was filled with joy and excitement excitement. It's this beautiful image of of Aslan, the great lion, God himself, singing the world into being and everything responding to his voice with great joy. As God spoke or sang this world into being, creation then began to join in that song. And in a sense, as, as God sang, the creation began to tune its voice to him. And that's the image that we have here in Psalm 19. I want you to notice here in the beginning verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork and day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge and there's no speech nor there words whose voice is not heard. And what I want you to see here is that the psalmist is saying that creation began to join its voice with the song of God. That the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the streams and the crashing waves upon the sand, the refreshing rain and the rhythms of morning and evening and sunrise and sunset, they all have tuned their voice to God to declare his glory. And I want you to notice then that this song is a song that goes out, it cannot be silenced. Verse 2, it says, day to day pours out speech. And this word pours out is literally this irrepressible bubbling up. It's as if from the very heart of creation, praise and worship bubble up to fill the earth and to give joy and life to the world. And notice that this singing then goes out over the entire earth for the whole world to hear. Look at verse 4. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And here's the point. This song of God, this song of creation is filling the earth as an invitation for the entire world to join in the choir. And the song that this choir is singing is not a dirge, but the song that is being sung is a song that is filled with joy. And You see this in verses 4 and 5, in them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. And what I want you to see here is that the creation is pouring forth praise to God and it does so willingly, it does so joyfully. There is no coercion to the creation to join its voice. It does it with great joy and excitement. It is not like the child that has to be elbowed to stand up and wake up and sing along during the service. But the creation, it lifts its voice with joy. The creation, it waves its branches with joy. In the spring, it bursts forth in beauty with joy. At the beach, the waves crash upon the sea. They crash upon the shore with great joy. And the psalmist goes on to describe this as a strong man. It's the joy of a strong man. It's the joy of this young groom running to receive his bride. What I want you to see here is that this song of creation is a love song. It's a song that is boasting in its maker, boasting in the one that he loves, in the very same way that a young groom gives praise for his bride. Now, I know that not everyone acknowledges this song. Uh, In fact, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that the Bible tells us that not everyone will acknowledge it, and not everyone will want to sing along. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 uh, is reflecting upon this psalm. And he says, when people hear this song, they'll often suppress it. They'll hear the song on the radio and they'll turn the station. They won't understand. They won't want to sing along. It's not their genre, it's not their style. And this really has been the plight of humanity ever since the fall. We've heard the voice of God. And we heard his song and we turned away. And we turned away to sing our own songs. But even though many of us may not join in, what I want you to see is that God continues to sing. And as God continues to sing, his creation continues to join him. And as they sing together, their voice goes out over all the earth to invite us and to re invite us and to invite us again and again to join them and sing along. What I want you to see here is that God speaks, right? God speaks. Would you say that with me? God speaks. I just finished the first season of Will Smith's Welcome to Earth on the Disney Plus. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, It's definitely worth about six hours of your life. Uh, And if you've seen episodes one and episode five, uh, uh, Will introduces us to this man named Eric Weihindmer. And when we first meet him, uh, Will and Eric are driving in this SUV on this little gravel road on an island in the South Pacific. And they're on their way to climb up Mount Yasur. And as the gravel road turns into this volcanic ash field, Eric says something like this. We're getting closer. You can tell because the landscape is changing. They get up on the mountain. The the truck stops. they, They get out. They begin to hike up this volcano. And as they walk up, the volcano, Eric says, whoa, wow, wait, did you hear that? Be careful. And Will looks back at him and he says, no, what did you hear? And it's in that moment that we begin to realize that Eric is blind. And yet in his blindness, he's able to see what those of us who can see cannot see. And he says, I want you to listen. And what's amazing is that Eric has hiked Mount Everest as a blind man. Eric kayaks rivers and navigates rivers by listening to the sound of the water uh, crashing on the rocks and crashing on the shore and when he hikes he clicks his poles he snaps his fingers he clicks his mouth and what he's doing is he's using echolocation sending out sound waves when they come back he listens to them and as he hears them as they come into his mind he creates this mental map of the landscape and in listening he's able to see what he cannot see and so as he and Will are climbing up this volcano he says whoa wait did you hear that be careful and all of a sudden, this volcanic splatter bomb, a liquid rock from the bowels of the volcano, flies up into the air and lands about 100 yards away from them. As they stand there looking into the edge of the crater, Eric says to Will, Will, close your eyes. Do you hear it? Do you hear the deep eruptions? Do you see what he's saying? He's trying to invite Will to slow down and to listen. He's trying to teach Will how to listen. And like Eric, the psalmist is inviting us to listen to the deep voice of God. To hear his voice so that we might learn to see him. And in seeing him, we might learn to long for him. And no matter how hard any of us try to suppress this song of creation, I believe that most of us still hear it. It's still running in the background. And this is why I don't know what y'all in, do in New York, but in Knoxville when it rains we run out of our house looking to see if we can see the rainbow. It's why uh, we love to go to the mountains and sit beside waterfalls and listen to the water cascade. It's why you love to get out of the city and go to the shore so that you can watch the waves or swim in the ocean and watch the light reflect off of the water. It's why many of you love uh, to go to your lab and look through a microscope so that you can see these tiny little pieces of creation responding to the voice of God. It's why all of us have really loved to go to the NASA website and look at all these new images from the James Webb Space Telescope and see some of the earliest moments of creation responding to the song 4.9 billion years ago. It's why all of us, we still cry out for justice, we still cry out for mercy, we we still cry out for healing and relief. Because what we really want is for the world to be... um, restored and for the world to be retuned to the voice of God and and this really is why beauty and truth matter to us it's really why complexity and order bring all of us such delight because that is the way of God and what I want you to see is that God speaks right God speaks would you say that with me God speaks. And this is also why none of us have ever actually truly been satisfied with creation itself. And it's why all of us, when we begin to sing our own song, we get bored with our own song. And it's why we all long for more. We all long for more beauty. We all long for more love. We all long for more wisdom. We all long for more time with those that we care about. You see, many of us, when we hear the song of creation, we love it. But if we're really honest, we know that it doesn't truly satisfy. Because this song is inviting us to hear the one who first sang. The song is inviting us to hear the one who created the notes and set the rhythm and is speaking the beauty. The poet Mary Oliver wrote this beautiful poem entitled, I Wake Close to Morning. And in it, she writes this. Why do people keep asking for God's identity papers when darkness opening into morning is more than enough? Do you hear that? She's saying, why do people keep asking for God's identity papers when darkness opening into morning is more than enough? And here's her point. Every day, when darkness gives way to the light of the morning... When the warmth of the sun warms our skin, when the songs of the bluebirds fill the sky, and when the glory of the sunrise and the glory of the sunset every day happen, it ought to be enough to remind us that God exists. But I really do think that the reason why as human beings we long for God's identity papers is because the song of creation is actually an invitation For us to not just know that he exists, but it is an invitation for us to actually be in relationship with him. And that's why God speaks. God speaks because he wants us to know him. God speaks because he wants us to be in relationship with him. God speaks because he wants us to know what he loves. He wants us to know what is good and true and beautiful. And so if we want to know God, then we must learn to listen to him. And that's what the Bible is really all about. It is about God telling us who He is. And we see this in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, as I read these verses from 7 through 14, what I hope you heard is this this word Lord, all capitals, repeated over and over again. And it's repeated over and over again. This is a big deal because it's a change in the psalm. In the psalm in verses 1 through 6, it talks about God and it uses the generic name for God, El. But here in verse 7, the psalmist switches from El, the generic name, to Lord, the specific name. Lord, all caps, is Hebrew Yahweh. And this is a really big deal because Yahweh is the covenantal name of God. And in a sense, Yahweh is God's identity papers. It is the name by which God introduced himself to us. It's the name by which he introduced himself to Moses. It's the name by which he introduced himself to Israel. It's the name by which he tells us that he is the God who hears our cries, who delivers us from our oppressors, who delivers us from our sins, who will deliver us from death and darkness. It's the God who promises to delight over his people. It's the God who promises to never leave or forsake his people. The name Yahweh is the God who always has been and always will be faithful to his word. And what I want you to see here is that God introduces himself to us in his word. And this is the only way that we can come to know him is if he would be kind to reveal himself to us. And this is why as Christians, when we hear the word of the Lord, we say, thanks be to God. Because we really do believe that this is a gift from God to make himself known to us. And, and you know this, like, in order for us to know anything about another human being, they've got to reveal themselves to us. They've got to tell us about themselves. And if they don't do that, we're just guessing. We're making up their background story. We're making up their origin story. We're trying to fit them in to our lives and shape them to be who we want them to be. But when there's someone that we desire to know, when they walk into the room, we've got to listen to them. We've got to stop talking. And as they reveal themselves, we receive their revelation and we receive it as pure gift. And that's how we as Christians think about the Bible. It's how we feel about the Bible. We believe it is his gift to us so that we might know him. Now, my guess is that some of you have already closed your ears off to the Bible uh, because you think you already know uh, what it says. My guess is that there are some of you who have closed your mind off to the Bible because you know what you think it ought to say or you don't like what it has to say. And I really do want to invite you uh, to stop telling the Bible what it should say. I I want to invite you to stop thinking you already know what it has to say and so it has nothing for you. And I want to invite you to listen once again. To take time and slow down and listen to the deep voice of God in his word. And maybe, just maybe, you'll hear his voice once again. And I want you to listen to the way that the psalmist then goes on to describe his word. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. And what I want you to see here is that God speaks in such a way that is right and pure and true. And this is really, really important for us because what this is telling us is that God is not trying to deceive you. And this is a really big deal because we live in a world where lots of people are talking. And some people are trying to manipulate us. And as everyone is talking, we don't know who to trust. We don't know who to listen to. We don't know who to believe. And what God is saying to us is you can listen to me. Because my words are trustworthy and true. And notice what his word then does for those who listen. Verse 7, it revives the soul. Verse 7, it makes wise the simple. Verse 8, it rejoices the heart. Verse 8, it enlightens the eyes. And again, here's the point. God's word is meant to give us life. Now, I know that many people would assert that the Bible just brings death. Or that the Bible is just a straitjacket stealing all of our fun. Or that uh, the Bible is just a noose around our necks. But maybe, just maybe, it's life apart from God's word that brings death. Maybe there is no freedom apart from the word of God. I want you to think about the famous story of the goldfish, uh, not uh, the Ted Lasso goldfish who's happy uh, because he has a short-term memory. Uh, but the goldfish is sort of a trite story. Many of you have heard it, I'm sure. But imagine a goldfish who's swimming around in a little bowl in your apartment. And he just sits around in that bowl, swimming around, watching you play Mario Kart, sitting on your nice little sofa, day after day after day. And that goldfish gets sick and tired of swimming around in a circle, swimming around in the water, and thinks, This water is just enslaving to me. This water is just killing me. What I really want to do, I want to be free. I want to get out of this water. I want to sit on that sofa. I want to play some Mario Kart, maybe some pitfall. And so, what does the fish do? The fish sort of works up some energy, swimming back and forth, back and forth, finally gets up the energy, jumps out of the bowl, begins to flop across the The living room, gets over to the sofa, sits there, picks up the Mario Kart uh, controllers and all that sort of stuff. And what happens to the fish, right? The fish dies. And why does he die? Because he can't breathe the air. It's in the water where he finds life. And what he finds is that his desire for freedom is actually what begins to kill him. And the Bible works in this way. It tells us how and where to find life. It tells us in whom life comes. And it's his word that then frees us to live and flourish in the world that God has made. And the way we will flourish is by submitting our own freedom to the voice of God. And as we submit to his voice, we will actually find life. And this is exactly why the psalmist declares uh, desires God's word. Look at verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, and dripping of the honeycomb. And and this is why God's people love God's Word. We love God's Word because we really do believe that knowing God is more important than money. And we really do believe that knowing God is more important than lots of money. And we really do believe that knowing God is sweet. It is sweet like honey. It's better than Skittles. That's what we believe about the Bible. And so what we're saying here, here's the point, right? God speaks. Right? God speaks. Would you say that with me? God speaks. And because God speaks, the psalmist sings. Look at verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, this is really amazing to me because what's happening here is that God's word is actually leading him, not just to a song, but to the one who sings. That God's word leads us to himself. Do you see what's happening here? The psalmist hears the voice of God, and like extreme, he says, "Uh, I want more than words. More than words is what I need. I want you, he says. I need a redeemer. I hear your voice, and it leads me to my need for the redeemer. Look at verse 12. He begins to ask for forgiveness. Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Think about that. What he's saying is when I hear your voice, I begin to realize that I don't even know what I don't know. And so he says, Declare me innocent. Declare me innocent from those things that I don't understand about myself. Declare me innocent uh, from those things that I don't even understand the reasons for which I do them. He says, declare me innocent from those things that I'm afraid to admit, from those things that I do not know, from my sins of omission and commission. And it's like you say, when I hear a voice, I realize that I don't know anything, but you do. Would you please forgive me? And then notice verse 13, he he says, uh, keep me back from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. And think about that, when he hears the voice of God, he says, I want to be different, I want to change. And I want to change, not just to change, not just to make my life better, he says, I want to change because what I realize is I've only listened to myself. I've only listened to my family. I've only listened to my friends. I've only listened to the Instaface and the Tikbook. And over and over again, I don't know who to listen to. And when I heard your voice, it was good. When I heard your voice, it was beautiful. When I heard your voice, it was true. And when I heard your voice, I wanted to be different because I want to be like you. I want to be like the one who has sung in such beautiful ways, and I want to join my voice in that song of creation. And I want to declare the glory of God. And I want to proclaim his handiwork day after day after day. And this is why the psalmist cries out for a redeemer. I see most of you know what a redeemer is, but a redeemer is essentially a deliverer. A redeemer is someone who buys us out of slavery. Slavery to sin, slavery to ignorance, slavery to our oppressors. And when they buy us out of that slavery, they then free us to be who we are intended to be. And that's exactly what God does. He redeems us in order to free us. And he does this not with fancy words of these and thou's and not with words of thou shalt not and thou must, but with the word that became man, namely Jesus Christ, That word of God that took on flesh and blood and dwelt among us. That word of God who was faithful to the Father. That word of God who was righteous and true and beautiful in all of his ways. That word of God that came into the world and dwelt among us in order to reveal the love of the Father in the face of the Son. That word that came so that we might hear his song and we might begin to join in it. Here's the point. God speaks, right? God speaks. So one last time, would you say that with me? God speaks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your lovely voice to us in Jesus, and it's our prayer that by your Spirit you'll be kind, that we might hear of your love, and we might join in the song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.